I was thinking about what it would have been like to see what looked like tongues of fire or flames above each person's head and to begin to imagine what it would be like for God to show up like that. Can God still do that? Now we understand we have the Spirit. The Spirit was given on that day and that's when the church was born and the church began to move out of Jerusalem and into other areas. But God could still show up just like that. The walls would shake. Mighty things would begin to happen. People would do things they never thought they could do before. I think God still wants to do things like that. And as we gather here today on this Sunday of Pentecost, we learn from the early church and we learn about the conditions that were in place right before God began to move in their lives and forming them together as God did. I think as we look at their story, we learn that God shows up when God's people are together in one place. As you look back, and if you have your uh, pew Bible or a Bible of your own or your app or however you look at it, if you'll look in Acts chapter 2, as we've heard uh, this morning, and there are several scriptures we could have uh, heard in worship about the Holy Spirit. We just heard from two, but there's so many others. Uh, not only that we get as, as we hear from the Old Testament, but also uh, especially in the New Testament. Uh, not just the giving of the Spirit, but the way the Spirit empowers the church to be at work. And uh, the uh, gifts of the Spirit as they come to the body. And as we hear those, we can learn so much about this Spirit that we, we really can't see. We might be able to hear from the Spirit or feel the Spirit, but in terms of visibility, it's not there. But we can know that when we gather, the Spirit shows up. And this is what was going on in their lives. Uh, as uh, Luke tells us, as he was writing this, when the day of Pentecost had come, Pentecost is that celebration of the giving of the law. We know about the Pentateuch, the uh, first five books of the Bible. We know about the law and the law that was given to Israel. And they came together and annually they would celebrate this. It would be a a time of festival and just a great celebration of how God had given uh, the word of God, the law of God to them. And so... As Jews, they were gathered together doing this. And as this was going on, uh, they were together in one place. And, And I think we miss something if we pass over that word together too quickly. They were together. They didn't say, well, we're just going to celebrate Pentecost out by ourselves. We're going to go out in nature, out into the desert, and behold the beauty that is there. And certainly they could have done that, or they could stand on top of a mountain and look out and think about how beautiful God is and how wonderful God's creation is. That's never a bad thing to do. But they understood the significance of coming together. And in a second, we're going to look at how they did in a diverse kind of way. But the fact that they understood the need for community, that it wasn't enough to celebrate this at home while you're still in bed, or in the easy chair. They needed to be together. 
And as we come together today on, a, again, a rainy day, this has been like four or five weeks of rainy Sunday mornings. And so I admire you for coming out and, and for understanding the need for being in community with others. Walt Disney, I, I think uh, there are some great quotes from Walt Disney, but one of my favorites is this. He says, you can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to make the dream a reality. You could have the most beautiful place in the world, but if the people aren't coming to it, if the people are not there, if they're not together in that place, then it is not yet a reality. And I think the same thing is true about church. There's so many beautiful church buildings around, aren't there? Uh, If you travel in Europe or if you uh, go to a, a big city, you'll see that there are a lot of beautiful, majestic cathedrals. And you just look at them, and and they're built so that as you look at them, your eyes are drawn upward, and you can behold their beauty and the architecture and all the symbolism and everything that is there that adorns uh, that building or those buildings. But what you'll also find is that in a lot of those, there are very few people inside. Some of them have even been turned into museums because no one showed up any longer. We need to understand the significance of place. Not that it be uh, a beautiful place, although it's beautiful because people come into it, uh, and it certainly could be beautiful on the outside, but what makes it place is the people. And what makes church for the highlands a place, no matter where we meet or what location we are in, it is church for the highlands because it is where the church for the highlands people gather together. And so there is great importance of that. There have been a lot of studies that have been done about third places. You know what a third place is? Like your first place is your home. Your second place is is where you spend most of your time. Where is that? Anybody? Work. Yeah, that dreadful place where you go to work. And the third place is either a bar or a coffee shop uh, or some favorite hangout that you go to. But you have another place where you go. And people are finding uh, that, that they are spending more time uh, and, and wanting to spend more time in those third places. could be a, uh, a country club, a golf place, or could be somewhere that, uh, that you see people and you, you're able to spend time with them. Uh, you have some common affinity that's there. But the reason you like it is because you're together. And God wants us to be together. And so I'm glad that you are here. And it's important for us to understand the significance of that because there's someone that is sitting near you perhaps that is in need of your presence in this place. When you see that smile that that person gives you earlier when when y'all were greeting one another, uh, I saw a lot of hugs uh, and and, uh, probably handshakes and kind words that were shared with one another. Maybe you haven't seen that person in a long time, and just to see that person 
brings you joy and lifts you up. And sometimes you know what it's like to be the person that is giving that kind of joy, and maybe you know what it's like to receive it. But there's that importance of being in the same place and the importance of fellowship. If we were to look further in Acts, we would see that word uh, that is used for fellowship, koinonia, holding all things in common, not just spiritually, but physically. And it's awesome to hear how that takes place here in our church where when a tree falls on a member's house, the people rush to get over there right after church. Uh, in fact, we had so many people over there helping. It, it was um, becoming counterproductive where people were passing each other uh, and running into each other up and down the stairs and all that. But that's a good problem to have when God's people are showing up and being together in one place. That's when God shows up as well. But also the other condition that that we see here is that when God's people represent the diversity God desires for the church to have. And that's what we hear from from Acts. Luke is describing it and he says that uh, they, they were coming from all these different places. If you look back here, uh, especially in verse 5 here in, in chapter 2, uh, God is calling. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty good when you you get it right away. <laughs> True. Randy had his 65th birthday on uh, yesterday, Saturday, and so it's getting harder for him to hear. And so uh, he's had to turn it up loud, louder and... Uh, And it worked, Randy. In verse 5, it says, Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And we saw on the map where you could see all of those coming in for this festival. They were being drawn into this place, and they represented great diversity. And we don't have time to look into all of that and the specifics of that, but if you want to learn more about it, look in your uh, scripture and you will, you'll find or look in a, a Bible dictionary and you can learn about how diverse these people were and as they were coming from all of these different places. Uh, I read an article recently about diversity and uh, for a while I was looking for all these different things so that I could, could write about them and uh, different uh, things that related to diversity. Uh, but this one... Uh, comes from Environmental News Service. And it says, After a decade of research involving nearly 3,000 researchers, scientists have presented the first census of marine life. The researchers discovered 6,000 new species, Bill, bringing the total number of known marine species to 250,000. And Bill could tell you the names of all of them. (laughs) Okay, but are they in the ocean? No, okay. The highlights ranged from the bizarre to the beautiful. 600-year-old tube worms, herring that swim in formations as large as Manhattan, the Yeti crab, which features long, downy claws like fur mittens, a jellyfish with a Darth Vader-like helmet, and another jellyfish that uses lights to scream for help. The scientists who worked closely with the project were constantly surprised and even stunned by the diversity 
the abundance and the beauty of what Christians would call God's creation. One of the vice chairs of the project said, Life astonished us everywhere that we looked. The discoveries of new species and habitats both advanced science and inspired artists with their extraordinary beauty. Another one said, The most surprising thing was the beauty. Our eyes pumped out of our heads in front of this beauty. And there's, I guess, uh, at least 20% of the ocean's volume that has yet to even be explored. Great diversity. And as we hear about that diversity, we can't help but think of how much God loves diversity. God the Creator, God who has made all things, delights in the diversity of what God has made. And how much more for the church. And I wonder how there is such a lack of delight when God looks at the church and sees the church not diverse. Where there is no diversity represented. Like Dr. King said about the most segregated hour of the week is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Not here. here. (laughs) And the most uh, segregated school is Sunday school every Sunday morning. And what King was saying is that that we've not gotten it yet, that God loves diversity. Where people come from all different kinds of backgrounds and different places, different ways of understanding Scripture, different ways of relating to one another, different ways of living in our beautiful world. Why don't we come together? And thank God we are a church that is representing diversity. There's so much more diversity out there that we need to represent here in our church. But God shows up in that kind of place. If you think about it in terms of a vessel, it is a vessel that God can use. There was a a lot of writing going on back in the 1980s about the church growth movement. And everybody wanted the church to grow. And so you could buy a book that had five easy steps to church growth. And all these churches were running out doing it and they were building these particular kinds of buildings that looked like coffee shops or they were uh, having these kinds of activities that uh, would be like entertainment to bring people in. And it would work in one place but fail in another. Many pastors lost their lives or at least their jobs uh, by trying to incorporate some of these things that worked in this other area but uh, didn't work at all where they were. And everybody tried to discover, how can we make the church grow? And what we see is that God grows a church when it is devoted to diversity. God can do amazing things when we represent that kind of diversity because when people come in the door, they sense that it's a place for them. It's a place where they can can find a sense of unity and togetherness with other people and to learn from people who are not like them. So we need to have that condition if God is going to show up. But a final condition that, that I, I think we can, we can appreciate and we can see here is that God shows up when God's people rediscover their purpose. And that's what was going on there 
as the uh, people were gathered, they started to, as the, the tongues of fire, as what looked like these torches above their heads, uh, was, they were coming upon them and they were speaking in tongues. They were be able to express what was going on in languages of other people. And so all these people from all these different nations were able to hear God's message in their own language. And they were baffled by it to the point they thought they were drunk. And as Peter says, well, it's not even 9 o'clock, which doesn't mean anything in Louisiana, <laughs> right? Could be, you could be pretty drunk at 9 a.m. on a sun, Saturday morning. But they were doing some things that could not be explained in a rational kind of way. God was moving in their midst in irrational ways stirring them up and empowering them to be those who would share the gospel with their world. They were the ones who would become the church. And as we see our Christ candle over here in just a little bit, I'll blow that out. Because at Pentecost, we remember that God has empowered us to be the fire and to be the light of the world. One of my favorite uh, Andy Griffith shows was about the time that Andy Griffith, one of the times, that he was going out of town. And so he uh, has to find somebody. So he, he has Barney, uh, you know, in charge. And Barney, of course, you know, he's got that one bullet and he's ready to go. And he's, he's really excited about being in charge. And he needs a deputy. And so who does he get? Gomer. He deputizes Gomer. And so... They're all out and about feeling all this authority and, and they're going down the street one night and they notice that somebody's robbing the bank. And uh, they get scared. I mean, they're scared to death not only of what the people are doing or could do to them, but uh, they have no idea what to do at all. And so they get behind a car and they begin to uh, try to figure this out. And uh, finally, Gomer says, Shazam! We need to call the police! And Barney looks at him and he says, we are the police. (laughs) It's a scary feeling sometimes when we come to that understanding that we are Jesus. We are to be the hands and the feet of Christ in our world. And we are reminded every day of the need for an empowered church in this world when we understand what's going on in the world with things like terrorism and people who are walking across the London Bridge and and become targets of terrorism, of, of people who are sowing hate in the world. When we see that our environment is compromised by people who don't believe in climate change, when we can see it all around us, There is a need for an empowered church for people to be the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. When people are sick and in need of a powerful touch, when people are depressed and in need of a lift of the Spirit, when people are looking for a way to go and can't find their way, where is the church? We are to be that church. We are to be that vessel. As we take communion here in just a second, 
we get the idea of what a vessel is really supposed to be. As we take a look at the cup and as we pass the uh, plate, we understand of how a vessel has been used by God in this world to make a difference for all time. A vessel that is filled up, a vessel that is poured out. And it's a perfect picture of how the church is to be. As you come and partake in communion this morning, may you think about that. What kind of a vessel am I? And am I allowing God not only to fill me up, but is God pouring me out? Let's pray.